Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. You guys are just so awesome. And can I just start by saying that? Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for all the feedback on this podcast. I mean, we're just starting out and you guys have been so generous. I want to thank all of you, really. A lot of you have sent encouraging notes. You've left some amazing reviews on the iTunes store. So like I I live in Canada, just north of Toronto, and um, I always get the Canadian iTunes store. And there's some great reviews in the Canadian iTunes store. And I could always see that there were like 70 in the U.S. store, but only a few days ago did I figure out how to actually get into the U.S. iTunes store from Canada uh, to read what you've written. And man, you guys, it was so humbling. It's, you've been amazing. So thank you so much. That's uh, been so encouraging. And uh, hey, I, I would love to meet some of you personally. If you guys want to connect in the next few weeks before we sort of get to today's guest and uh, where we're going today, I'm going to be at the Orange Tour in Washington, D.C. and in Indianapolis in the next few weeks. And I'll be doing some keynotes, some breakouts, and also hosting a lunch for leaders. So that's where we get to connect sort of up close and personal. You can just go to orangetour.org if you want more information. But uh, hey, you're making this amazing, and I just want to say thank you. And uh, also, if now we you know, we don't really have a library, but this is the fourth episode. And that's what I want to do over the next few years is uh, build up a really strong library of, of leadership conversations that hopefully help you lead like never before and your team lead like never before. And I, I'm just so amazed at how generous people have been. Today's guest, Kara Powell, I think you'll agree, such an incredible interview. And I mean, combining the best of academics and also just speaking passionately as a mom and as a church leader, uh, she's going to talk all about why kids leave church. Why do young adults kind of walk away, drift away? So, I mean, she was so generous with her time. So was Casey Graham, Perry Noble, Andy Stanley. Um, upcoming guests have been so generous. And you know what? They've, they've done this for free, which is amazing. So I really hope this helps you lead like never before. Um, today's guest, let's jump right into it, is someone by the name of Kara Powell. She is Dr. Kara Powell. She is a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. And uh, what I love about Kara is she's an academic, but she's also a passionate local church leader. And she's a mom too, a wife and a mom, and really concerned about her own kids and other people's kids. And today, we're going to drill down on the question, why are 40 to 50% of the kids who are still engaged in ministry in high school, in their senior year of high school, why are 40 to 50% of them walking away or drifting away from the Christian faith in their 20s? It is perplexing. If you care about the church, if you care about the next generation, whether you're a church leader, a parent, a, a business leader who volunteers, I mean, this this gets to your heart. And Kara has done some incredible research. She's written several books on it, all under the Sticky Faith brand. And you're going to be able to uh, get all the information in the show notes. But um, it's just a fascinating conversation. She's got practical tips on what you can do both as a parent and as a church leader to help faith stick in the life of the next generation. So without a whole lot more, let's jump right into the interview. And here is Dr. Kara Powell. Well, I'm so excited to have Kara Powell here today. Kara, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks. It's great to be here with you, Carrie. Yeah, Kara and I have known each other for, oh, three or four years now. And um, Kara, the thing I really appreciate about you is you're just you're just passionate about the next generation. And you're an academic who is passionate about the next generation. Tell us a little bit about your story. How do you become so passionate about developing a faith that sticks in the next generation? Well, I've been doing youth ministry since 1987 and have done worked with both Young Life and more time in church ministry and just really love teenagers. When I when I pray big God-sized dreams, I pray those dreams for teenagers and young people. And so um, as much as I love young people, I also love the idea of offering parents and leaders the best, most deep um well-founded, well-studied tools possible. And so I, I also love research. And so I stand with one foot in the world of research and one foot in the world of real life ministry and real life family with teenagers. And that's exactly where I want to stand. Well, and, and that's what's so interesting to me. I mean, when you read Sticky Faith or the, the related products, you, I would say that's a very accurate description. I mean, it is as gritty and story-based as so much literature out there, but it's also got all this you know, a lot of PhDs behind it. <laughs> you have a doctorate, yeah. <laughs> so did so did some others. Tell us a tell us a little bit about how you conducted the study behind yeah. Sticky Faith. Give us the bird's eye view of what that whole project is about, because I think almost everybody listening to this, whether they're listening as a parent, as a church leader, as a ministry leader, as a volunteer, I mean, you got to be pretty selfish to not be passionate about spirituality, faith in the next generation, and that's what Sticky yeah. Faith is all about. Why is it that's Sometimes faith sticks and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Well, really good research by others indicates that about 40 to 50% of young people from great families and great churches, like folks listening to this podcast, 40 to 50% of young people will drift from God and from the church after they graduate. Wow. So Carrie, just imagine taking a, a, a mental snapshot of the young people you care about, your mm-hmm. two sons my three kids, other young people, and then imagine getting a red pen and putting an X through almost 50% of their faces. Um, As a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. I know you're not, and Mm -hmm. neither were we here at the Fuller Youth Institute. So we received a number of grants, one from the Lilly Endowment that allowed us to study over 500 youth group graduates during their first three years in college, one from the Tyndale House Foundation that allowed us to study over 50 amazing families, and then we've been running Sticky Faith cohorts, year-long learning processes for churches. And so because of that, we've studied over 150 churches. So we've had our hands in in kids' lives, in families' lives, and the life of local congregations, all trying to figure out how can we reverse this trend of almost half of our young people drifting from the faith. Yeah. And these these are not just general population. These are kids who were actually raised in, as you say, good homes, good churches, who were probably at one point involved, who said, I believe, maybe even got baptized, and now they're gone. They, they yeah, vanished. These were, these were kids who were connected through their senior yeah. year of high school. Wow. So, so yeah, they had quite a relationship with the church, and then that's after that is when they drift, when they go to college or the military or workforce. Yeah, and that's where every leader gets that sinking feeling in the pit of their stomach, and every parent gets that sinking yeah. feeling in the pit of their stomach. It's like, well, they were involved. What, what happened? Now, a little bit more on the research. I might get the dates wrong, but I believe the study ran for six or seven years from, is it 2004 to 2010? Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. In terms of the study of uh, the young people that we did. And mm-hmm. then in 2011, 12 and 13 is when we looked at the families as well as the churches. So we've really been conducting research on this question about long-term faith or sticky faith for the last decade. Yeah, that's amazing. And and it's a pretty broad sampling. And so if people are like, well, it's just one style of church. You know, I knew all evangelical churches were like that. No, you pulled from mainline evangelical yeah. Ev- yeah. everything, haven't you? Different. Yeah, different regions of the country, different sized churches. Yes, we we tried to get the best diversity that we possibly could. So we're kind of all implicated here. Yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) yes. Yeah, which makes the research so valuable. Um, Now, what did you find or what are you finding? And I mean, this literally fills hundreds of pages. Uh, So just give us the bird's eye view of what you have discovered over this decade of research. Well, I'll start by sharing what I think is what has tended to grab the imagination of church leaders the most. And it's this. We were trying to find kind of a silver bullet that would yield sticky faith, that if every church did A, B or C, then it would you know, guarantee long-term faith in young people. And the reality, of course, is there is no guarantee. It's the Holy Spirit who produces spiritual transformation, not us. So we haven't found that silver bullet, but we have found what I call silver shavings. And we looked at 13 different youth group participation variables, 13 things that kids tend to, tend to do in the context of youth group. So, you know, you and, and listeners today will be glad to know that service and justice was related to mature faith in both high school and college. Studying right. scripture was related to mature faith in both high school and college. But of the 13 things that we looked at, the one that was most related to mature faith in high school and college was intergenerational worship and relationships. Hmm bringing the generations together. And, you know, in this day and age, there's so much segregation in the church. And and segregation is not a term that I use lightly. But we put our children in one building or one part of the building. We put our youth, you know, across the parking lot or in another wing of the building. And the adults are someplace else. And so as a result, high school students graduate and they know youth group, they don't know the church. They know their hmm. youth pastor, they don't know their senior pastor. So no wonder young people are leaving from the church because they haven't really experienced the church. They've just experienced a siloized youth ministry. Well, it's interesting because their next step, if there is going to be a step, would not be into a siloized ministry. It would be into the broader life of the church for which you would suggest they're not prepared. Yeah, typically that's so. Most churches don't have the the same size or kind of level of dynamicness in college ministries. So, mm-hmm. so absolutely, kids have kind of experienced this Las Vegas-like youth ministry, and then they graduate in, into the unknown. Right. So what does that look like, intergenerational activities? Does that mean you have one church service where everybody from age four to, you know, 84 is involved? Or what, what is every week? Like, what does that look like? Well, different churches are implementing this in different ways. And, and you know, every church needs to figure out the right rhythm or, or pace for them. One of my life mantras is that balance is something we swing through on our way to the other extreme. <laughs> so, so, you know, one <laughs> of the ways... Great. Yeah, I haven't heard that. It's so true for me. Um, one of the ways that sticky faith has been misunderstood is people think that we're calling for the end of children's ministry or the end mm-hmm. of ministry. That is not at all the case. You know, six-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 46-year-olds still need to talk about life stage issues. Yeah. As, as one youth leader told me, you know, the average 16-year-old doesn't want to 
to talk about pornography with grandma in the room. Um, <laughs> Very and, true. Yes. And grandma or dad. doesn't either. Yeah, yeah grandma dad. doesn't want to hear it either. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. so true. So there is, a, I mean, 16 year olds need to be on their own some. It's just, we've swung too far. Yeah. So, you know, some congregations, they are um, canceling youth groups, say, every Sunday morning, but still meeting on Wednesday night. That would be a more extreme step. Others are canceling their youth group, say, maybe once a month. Um, others are canceling it once a quarter, et cetera. So, you know, different churches are experimenting in different ways. But what I will say is this, is when we bring the young people into the worship experience, let's make sure they really feel included. Yeah. Um, so creative churches are thinking about how to involve young people up front. Creative senior pastors are thinking about how can I tell a story? How can I sprinkle a few sentences through my sermon where I talk about school lockers or final exams mm-hmm. so that young people feel like, okay, I'm not just a guest here, yeah. but I am part of this community. Okay. That's good to know. I mean, our church operates in Connexus where I serve operates in the North Point model. We're a strategic partner. And one of the things that I think all of our partner churches do is we don't offer uh, anything for high school students on Sunday morning other than integration with the main service. Yeah. And we encourage them to attend one and serve one. So if you go through our children's ministry and our younger student ministry or middle school ministry, um, I don't know, something like 30, 40, 50% of the people who volunteer there are high school students. That's great. And um, that is that an example of one way to do that? And we still have student ministry. It just happens Sunday night. Right yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that, that is, it's important, Carrie, that churches like yours who aren't say doing youth group on Sunday mornings right. have other opportunities for kids to connect with each other, whether it's yeah. Sunday night, midweek, small group, large group. Um, cause that's important. But what I will say is it's not just about getting kids in the same room with right. adults, say for worship. It's really about the relationships that can be established mm-hmm. there. And so that's where we've learned through our Sticky Faith cohorts, there's a difference between multi-generational ministry and intergenerational ministry. Multi-generational ministry is getting everybody in the same room. Um, And, you know, you often have the senior adults sitting closer to the front and the the middle-aged adults behind them and then the teenagers way in the back. That's a good first step, but it's honestly and sometimes a needed first step, but it's a bit of a placebo for what we ultimately want which is intergenerational ministry, where mm-hmm. people are really talking with each other. People are, are actually getting to know each other, praying for each other, knowing each other's names. You know, even those sorts of steps help young people feel connected to the church and thus more likely to have sticky faith. So can serving be one way to do that? I know that's something we encourage. And basically, students end up serving alongside adults and grandparents and the whole deal. Yeah, that's awesome. And and what we encourage churches who who do have, you know, large swaths of young people serving in their ministries is to really train those adults to mentor those teenagers. Because a lot of adults, yeah, a lot of adults, you know, they they think, well, I'm teaching third graders and they don't think about that 16-year-old who's in the room other than that 16 year old's going to help me get graham crackers out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. Just do the work I don't want to do. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And, and, you know, graham crackers need to get out and apple juice needs to be poured. That, that needs to happen in children's ministry. But for that, you know, that adult to think, gosh, how do I also pour into this 16 year old? If, if yeah. this 16 year old say happens to play soccer, How do I try to make it to one of their soccer games during the course of the season? So they know I care about them as a person, not just them as a class helper. 
Oh, that, that's a really, really good point, Kara. The other thing I would say, too, to senior pastors who, like me, teach, it is whole other filter to put through your message when you know there's a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old sitting there listening to your message, not only for the examples, but I mean, you just can't be boring and you can't be confusing. And I think if you can speak to teenagers, you can speak to unchurched people. And my little editorial thing, if you're not reaching teenagers, good luck reaching unchurched people because (laughs) they're not going to get it either. And if you can't be clear enough to really speak into a teenager's life, you're never going to be clear enough to speak into an unchurched person's life. That's such a great point, Carrie. I mean, I hear you saying that that having young people in your congregation and thinking about them as you're prepping, it's raised your game. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's it's dramatically helped your sermons for everybody, not just the young people, but churched and unchurched adults too. They will not hesitate to tell you you're boring. Right. You know, <laughs> exactly. you'll, you'll find that out when they're sound asleep in the back road because it's Saturday night, you know, right, right. Or on their phones the whole time. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. You read the Twitter stream. Boring. No, uh, you know, it's not that extreme, but they, they give you really good feedback. And a yeah. lot of them, this is the surprise. A lot of them really dial in. They love it. They really love being there. They listen, they engage. It's powerful. Okay. Yeah. So are those the basic findings? I mean, like I say, the research is very, is there anything else you want to share? Oh, gosh, so much I want to share. I just wanted to start there because that's probably what churches have grabbed onto the most. Um, I would say, you know, core to what we found in Sticky Faith is that young people have a really distorted view of what even faith is. Mm -hmm. That kids who graduate from from great well-intentioned congregations tend to think of their faith as a list of do's and don'ts or yeah. what Dallas Willard called the gospel of sin management. Yeah. You know, this gospel that's all about a checklist. And so then they graduate and when they fail to live up to that checklist, note I said when, not if. <laughs> yes. Because all of us fail that checklist. I mean, we do. I'll fail it today. I'll fail it today, I'm sure. When we fail to live up to that checklist, then young people end up running from God and the church just when they need both the most. Mm -hmm. So one of the big themes out of our Sticky Faith research is to really reclaim what separates Christianity from every other religion. And, you know, and I've studied this. I've studied all different religions of the world. What separates Christianity, number one, I mean, of course, Jesus, but really from a theological perspective, it's grace. Yes, it is. It's it's grace. Every other religion, you have to earn God's favor. And Christianity, we're, we don't teach that. We teach that God loves us unconditionally. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, we as well-intentioned parents and teachers, we end up teaching a gospel that emphasizes the commands of Scripture so much but doesn't emphasize the grace that enables us to obey those commands. Yeah. Go ahead. You know what? No, honestly, that of of all the things I've read, that one challenged me the most because I mean, I know that's true. And I think everybody would say, well, of course that's true. But as a dad of two teenagers, well, young adults now as, as um, you know, a, a pastor with a lot of teenagers and just, you know, this goes into the adult years. It is so hard not to get freaked out by what you hear is really going on. Yeah. And and it is so easy just to relapse into the gospel of sin management. Yeah. Um, and, and you propose an alternative and you yeah. say the alternative is trust, right? Am I yeah. summarizing that accurately? Yeah, absolutely. That it's not, I mean, it, so many sermons that if we, if we were to really be honest with ourselves as leaders and say, do a postmortem on our sermons, our small groups, 
Uh, they sadly the essence tends to be two words try harder yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah don't um, screw up this week and when you do come back next week well right. help you feel bad about yourself again exactly but what we learn from Paul's epistles is that the gospel is all about trusting in God's grace and mm-hmm. you know John 15 harkens into this too that as we abide then we bear fruit as we live with a sense of God's own go- ongoing grace then that's what allows us to obey. And here's what young people need to understand, and adults too, is that the same grace, once we fail, the same grace allows us to go back and receive the forgiveness and restoration um, from God and through the faith community. So grace is not only what what enables us to obey, it's also what enables us even in the midst of our ongoing failure. See, and that's such great theology, but it's so often lost in the, hey, just do better, don't mess up. And yeah. you're right. It, I mean, classic student ministry, classic preaching is, here's a whole lot of stuff you shouldn't do. And we would never say out loud, God won't love you if you do it, but we're horrified when people do it. And, and I mean, yeah, there's a lot of foolishness that happens. And, and I think every parent has wrestled with that tension. Yes, I made mistakes when I was a teenager, but you're not supposed to make those mistakes, right? You're, you're supposed to be perfect. So trust is kind of the, the banner which you use um, to frame then how we should approach yeah. m- relating to the next generation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and then I, I, we frame it that way because that's how Paul frames it. Mm-hmm. We didn't make this up mm-hmm. on our own. But if you read Paul's epistles, what's interesting is it's in the latter chapters of Paul's epistles, um, Ephesians 5 and 6, Galatians 5, Philippians 4, etc. when we get into the majority of the commands, those do's and don'ts. And our problem is, as leaders and teachers, we camp out on those latter chapters of the epistles without understanding all that's preceded it. And the early chapters of Paul's epistles tend to follow this pattern of God's love for us, our mm-hmm. sin that separates us, and then God's grace that allows us to have relationship again with God. So, you know, my commitment to myself and and to people with whom I speak out of our sticky faith research is even if I'm teaching, say on Ephesians six or Galatians five, you know, I have to frame it. I have to frame Ephesians six in light of Ephesians two. And so I can't teach Ephesians six without teaching Ephesians two, even just for a few paragraphs where Paul writes, you know, as, as we know that we are saved by grace through faith so that none of us can boast. So Yes, teach the do's and don'ts and talk with our kids about those as parents. But but it, it, none of that can happen without understanding what Paul wrote before those do's and don'ts, which is so much about God's grace. It's a really, really good point. So the challenge with that, of course, is it gets really messy. Yeah. And your writing is full of stories of, like, I think in, in one of the cohorts, one of the groups of students you studied, I think it was something like 69 or 70 students and every single one of those students, again, who finished their senior year in a church, um, used alcohol in their first year. Not that that's, you know, I'm not saying it's sinful to use it or whatever. I'm not passing judgment. It's just like too much alcohol often ends you up in situations you don't want to be in. Right. And so you get in there, there's stories about teenagers who involved got pregnant. I mean, sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole, the whole scene And so these students who are hyper-involved at church also get hyper-involved in that scene. And you're the minister of the gospel, or you're the youth leader, or you're the small group leader who wades into that. And how do you not freak out? Yeah. 
Um, I think it starts, I mean, Bonhoeffer wrote my paraphrase. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this out of life together, but he wrote communities only possible when we think of ourselves as the biggest sinner in the room, hmm. the biggest sinner in the conversation, or as so you know, Paul writes, the chief of all sinners. Yeah. So I think it starts with understanding our own sin and our own struggles to be the people that God wants us to be. And to make that something that we are communicating regularly with, whether it's our kids in our family or whether it's the young people and adults in our ministries. And mm. I'm not saying to emotionally vomit all over our kids. Yeah. But, but you know, out of our research, if I can focus on just the, our home for a bit, you know, we've become so much more quick to talk about our mistakes and our struggles with our kids um, you know, just yesterday, I had to apologize for how I handled something with with our 11 year old. Her attitude oh, yeah. was just driving me crazy. She's like 11, going on 15. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, she was just acting like a, a sassy 15 year old. Sure. And and I had told myself, okay, I'm gonna talk to her about it at bedtime. That'll be a better time. But as I picked her up from her friend's house, she just she just. Uh, it was the straw that broke the camel. She back. knows your button too. And totally. she knows exactly how to push it. So, doesn't she? So much so. So I just, I got in the minivan and I thought I cannot wait until bedtime for this. I need to talk to her about this now, but I just didn't handle it as well as I could have. Mm. And so, and I saw her just shrink as I started talking to her. And so ironically we were driving to church. And so <laughs> of course, of course you were <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So. So we got to church and, and my husband was meeting us. And so I said, Hey Dave, you got to take the, I just had one of my other kids with me. I said, can you take Jessica? I just need to talk to Krista. And we sat in the church parking lot for about 20 minutes and I just apologized to her. And I said, Krista, I'm really sorry. I didn't handle that well. And I, I used the tone of voice that I don't want to as a mom. And I was very quick to talk about, you know, my mistakes, even in how I was trying to discipline her. And you know what? She eventually opened up in that 20-minute conversation. Wow. And, and we, had a, we had a great dialogue where she got to the point of being able to apologize to me. Um, but it started with me being in touch with and sharing with her, hey, here's how I've blown it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, parents often ask, almost always when we speak to parents about sticky faith and a parent raises their hand, I, I, usually their first question is, should I share with my kids my own struggles from when I was a teenager? Right. Or is that going to make them more likely to, you know, drink, yeah. do drugs, et cetera? If dad did this, if mom did this, then I guess I can. Exactly. But you know what, Carrie, I've, I've been working with teenagers for uh, over 25 years. Mm -hmm. The reasons that teenagers choose to engage in those high-risk behaviors is so long that, you know, because mom and dad did, that that is about number 10 on the yeah. list. I mean, there are so many other forces. So what I say to parents as a general rule is if you would open up with some of that, that would create conversation with your kids that can help prevent some of those choices versus staying silent for fear that they're going to somehow, um, you know, repeat your mistakes. Yeah. And that's a tough place to go as a parent. You know, I, re I really appreciate what you're saying and in, in the course of... <laughs> my parenting, I've had to apologize to my kids over and over again. Yeah. And, and I think for parents who don't do it, I mean, you know, my friend, our friend, Reggie Joyner and I, uh, we wrote a book a couple of years ago, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, where we talked about holding up the perfect picture. Yeah. And I think everybody thinks this is only me, only my kids are going through this. I'm the only dad who ever loses his temper. I'm the only mom who, yeah. you know, speaks shortly with her kids. And, and, and the reality is we've got to drop that. And it is the gospel that moves into our family in those moments. Yeah. And our kids see us as flawed, 
sinners saved by a very gracious God who is remaking us. I had a conversation with my 22-year-old recently, and we were sort of rehashing a few things. And I said, you know, I wish I could get some of those moments back. And I, I just apologized. And he said, yeah, dad, but, but you and mom are like, you're different. And I see you trying. And he says, some areas you struggled with a few years ago, you're not struggling as much. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's true. But I'm, I mean, it's just, it's hard. Anybody who says parenting is easy, hasn't parented. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, Carrie. I love my kids. Um, and parenting is my hardest role in life to be the parent that I want to be. And that I, I think God wants me to be, it takes so much work and energy and intentionality. Mm. So I will say this for, you know, we're talking about kind of teenage struggles for folks who are listening, who have younger kids. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's never too early to start implementing some of these principles. And to make your home a safe place to talk about mistakes. Our youngest was about four when we started um, unearthing this research. And so, you know, in our in our family, we have been sharing high and low around the dinner yeah. table since our kids were little. But because of our research, we, we added a couple questions, one of which is, what mistake did you make today? Wow. Um, because we want every day for us to be able to talk about mistakes. And uh, our, our youngest, who's now eight, boy, she loves keeping track of my mistakes. <laughs> so all during the course of the day, oh, that's going to be one of your mistakes, mommy. Oh, that's going to be one of your mistakes, mommy. So she's keeping a, a mental list of all my mistakes. But, you know, she talks about her mistakes, too, over dinner. And we've had times where... Especially I have had to apologize for my kids because to my kids, because a lot of times my mistakes involve how I treat them. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, just making mistakes, something and sin and struggle, something that we can talk about even from an early age. But that's a genesis that's- for confession, right? Like I think <laughs> confession is a lost art and, and I think that's great. So let's talk to young parents too, because is there anything that, you know, if you've got preschoolers or elementary age kids at this point, um, Anything in particular that they need to be on the lookout for or things where they would say, okay, I can do this now and it'll help. It won't guarantee there's no silver yep. bullet, but there's, what did you call them? Silver shavings? Yeah, silver yeah. shavings. That's, uh-huh. that's my made up technical research love term. It, love it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what I love about parents of younger kids is they can start weaving threads into the fabric of their family um, early on. So it, it, it can sometimes feel a little bit forced when you're a parent of teenagers trying to change some of your family rhythms, but, but oh, what yeah. a perfect time when your kids are younger. So w- what I would say is I, I, I'd want to let parents of elementary school kids know about some of our other research on parent child faith conversations. And, and this has also definitely changed, um, our own family is let's say Carrie, that you're my kid. What our research indicates is that it is a good thing for me to ask you questions about your faith, which, you know, kind of good Christian parents tend to do. How was church? How was youth group? How Mm -hmm. was children's ministry? What'd you study? What'd you learn in the message? Yeah. Exactly. And depending on your kid's mood, personality, you might get an answer or you might get kind of a leave me alone mom eye roll. Right. Or you have Um, boys and they just grunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 One of the the others. Guttural Um, sounds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe other bodily noises. Yes, you know, yes very true. Very true. <laughs> so, so it's a good thing to ask those questions as parents, but what our research shows is it's as important and much less practice 
for us to share about our own faith with kids. Mm. In other words, instead of interviewing our kids about their faith, it's also us talking about our own spiritual journey, what we're praying about, what we heard in church. I mean, this was the mistake I was totally making until our research. Literally Sundays after church, you know, our kids would have these little sheets that they had done in children's church and and we would talk about them and then we would kind of move on to praying together as a family and Dave and I never talked about what we were learning in church Mm -hmm. and I realized man what a golden opportunity so I love saying to parents our research isn't saying you need to be more spiritual than you already are our research is saying share with your kids the spirituality you already have yeah, and I mean, we at, at our church where I serve, we we try to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. We have a lot of formerly unchurched people. Uh, I think one of the pushbacks you would get to that, and it's not fatal, is simply this. I barely have a faith. I mean, right. I'm figuring this out at the same time my kids are. So if there's parents listening or leaders listening, you know, who are like, well, I, I don't even know what I'd say. I don't, yeah. I, I don't pray with my kids because I don't really know how to pray. Yeah. Do you just start where you are? How do you, How do you handle that? Yes. Well, I, I, you, you've answered it partly, Carrie. Yeah, definitely start where you are. And number two, I mean, we're, I'm not talking about doing a sermon on Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, we're, we're not talking about doing complicated exegesis and getting into the Greek or the Hebrew. <laughs> we're, we're talking about simply saying, you know, as you hear about the Ebola virus, just saying mm-hmm. to your kids, you know what, I've been praying for Africa. And I've been praying for God to bring healing and for God's light to shine. Just simply sharing that. And, and actually, current events are often a great conversation platform for parents who are a little timid and talking about their faith, um, what they've been praying for, thoughts that they have about, about certain current events. Uh, you know, you, you, parents can definitely start with that. Sometimes I've found even the basics, like explaining why we do what we do. Hey, mom's going to get involved with this starting point thing. And the reason we're really passionate about seeing faith form in kids or um, no small groups of priority for us. And here's why yeah. um, those conversations can be interesting for your kids. So yeah. you've, you've got a lot of research, a decade of research of all the findings. What surprised you the most? Well, good question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the role of doubt in a young person's faith journey. And, you know, so often we think of doubt as something that's detrimental or sabotages faith or is toxic to faith. And that's not what we saw in our research. Our research shows that um, it's not doubt that is toxic to faith. It's unexpressed doubt that oh. is toxic to young people's faith. That's huge. So, Yeah, we've got data that shows that when young people feel the opportunity to express and explore their doubts, that that's actually related to greater faith maturity, both in high school and college. And yet the vast majority of students don't feel like they can express or explore their doubts. So for church leaders who are listening to this, you know, to to ask the hard question, do young people feel like they can ask big and tough questions about God in our community? And if not, how can we create more safe places so that they can? Wow. And that, that's got to you know, be high on the freak out meter for parents, too, when your 14-year-old says, I'm not sure I really believe this. Or yeah. how do we even know the Bible is true? Are, are they looking for objective answers? Or, what, or, or are they just looking for a place where they know that they can be loved and still ask questions that kick against orthodoxy? Yeah, I would say the answer is yes. You, you, know, mm. you just gave me two options, and it's both. Okay. Um, they, of course, they, they are somewhat interested in the answer, 
But I think they're also interested in knowing that God and the faith community is big enough to handle those questions. So, you know, one story that haunts me, Carrie, is uh, of a 13-year-old who went to a senior pastor one day, and this was a very curious, inquisitive 13-year-old boy. And he went to a senior pastor and said, you know, pastor, if I raise my pinky finger, will God know what's happening does God know which finger I'm going to raise? And a well-intentioned senior pastor said, yes, God knows what finger you're going to raise before you raise it. So then the same boy pulled out a copy of a, a Time magazine that showed starving children in Africa. And he said, well, then pastor, does God know what's happening with these starving children in Africa? And the pastor said, yes, God knows what's happening and we just need to trust God. Well, that 13-year-old boy is someone I'm sure you've heard of. And in fact, I'm actually using technology that he helped create. That 13-year-old boy was Steve Jobs. And yeah, in the biography by Isaacson, uh, Steve had that question, went to his senior pastor, does does God know what's happening with these children in Africa? And the pastor gave a well-intentioned answer, but Steve ended up walking out of that Christian church and never again going back to worship. So we urge parents and leaders, when young people come to them with questions, four great words are to say, I don't know, but, (laughs) Mm. Um, you know, there are a lot, I have a PhD in practical theology. There's a lot about God I don't understand. I mean, if I could understand about everything about God, he wouldn't be God. So, you know, for that senior pastor to have said to Steve, I don't know, but Steve, how about if you and I meet with your mom and this woman who loves questions about science and the four of us can have coffee together. Or I don't know, Steve, but what if me, you, and your dad get together for lunch after church next week and we can talk about it? You know, to have to create that kind of space for those kind of tough questions could have made a real difference in Steve's life. And every one of us know young people. If we stop and ask them, this has amazed me with my own kids. Mm. I stop and ask them, even just did this last night with a small group. I lead with um, boys and their moms. Yeah, I've read about that group. Fascinating. Yeah, it's called BAM for boys and moms. (laughs) Um, Boys came up with the name. so Sounds um, like it. Yeah, you can tell, right? (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we talked about last night, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? And the boys and moms all went around. And, I mean, some of them were very personal questions. Others were very kind of classic apologetics questions. And and I was taking notes as we talked because I thought, okay, this needs to form what we talk about in future weeks together. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder if if one of the things underneath that, Kara, is just the idea that I can ask questions and people will still love me and yeah. people will still accept me and you will still be my friend. Because I think we've all been burned. We're all afraid if we have questions and they might not be spiritual questions. They might just be, you know, questions of a friend or whatever. But if I say that, yeah, you won't be my friend anymore. I won't yeah. be accepted. I'll be rejected. And so we have all these unexpressed doubts. And then the only people, you know, who will have the conversation with us are people who aren't going to land on the side of Jesus. Yeah. They'll be the people who are like, well, no, everybody's got those questions. And, you know, you, yeah. you next thing you know, you haven't been in church. You don't believe you're not reading your Bible, any of that stuff. And for me as a dad and for me as a pastor and even as a person, that's been very, very challenging is to expand my universe well enough. And clearly God is in that space because if he wasn't good with doubt, we wouldn't be living in the reality we live in. Right? Right. God seems to be far more comfortable with doubt than a lot of Christian leaders are. And, um, so. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and so, I mean, I think you've, you've hit on something really important, Carrie, and that is, you know, what do we do when young people have doubts and whether it's in our congregation or in our family are then saying, I don't want to go to church anymore, et cetera. And, 
And so, you know, Eugene Peterson gives a great answer to this question, as he gives great answers to many questions. I love Peterson. And, yeah, and he says, you know, what's important is that young people who are asking those questions stay in the conversation. They mm-hmm. stay in the conversation. So if you know a young person whose big questions about God is causing them to, to drift from their faith, then I would say, how do you make sure they stay engaged in the conversation? Whether that's in a small group, whether that's in ongoing one-on-one mentoring with an adult in your church. Because if if we don't provide venues for conversation to happen, then as you've said, well, they're going to have conversations in other places and come to conclusions we wish they wouldn't come to. Yeah. Okay. So that's good advice. If you're a parent or a church leader and you see some kids or your kids drifting, keep up the dialogue, try to have the conversation, embrace the tension. Um, What about for parents? And maybe again, this is of, you know, you got a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or even a 15-year-old you think is locked down solid on the Christian faith. You're convinced they're not going to be one of the 40 to 50% who walk (laughs) away. Are there things to watch out for? Are there warning signs or is any, any word to those parents? Uh, Well, I'd say watch out for your own arrogance. You know, Mm. honestly, I, 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 we've got three kids. Our oldest is just turning 14. I'm not entirely sure how their faith is going to unfold. So Mm -hmm. for me, that keeps me humble. That keeps me trying. That keeps me trusting in God. And so you know, I, I would get worried of any parent who feels like they're doing everything right or, as you said, has it all locked down. Um, the reality is parenting is one of God's great ways to teach us new things about trusting Him. And yeah. so may we embrace it that way. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you raise a real key point. It's their faith at the end yeah. of the day. I have totally. mine. My wife has hers. But totally. at the end of the day, it's their faith that's developing. And, you know, where were some of us at 15 or 18 or 25? And I don't know, I think this is just a little personal rant here, Kara, but I think there's a parenting book in there somewhere. And and I know I share this heart, Reggie does, probably you do, but I think there's so much out there and we're so hyper-connected now through social media and the online world um, that there is a, there's a pride associated with parenting and things yeah. that are going well. And I think at the end of the day, you know, to me, parenting is very much a, a parabolic form of the relationship God has with us. Yeah. Kids are free. Sometimes they embrace them. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they yeah. embrace us. Sometimes they don't. And I would say to the discouraged parent, if you're really discouraged right now and you're like, oh, we should have kept the dialogue open or, you know, right. we should have got them involved. We sh- wish our church had multi-generational, intergenerational worship. You know, your story's God's story. Yeah. And um, it's not over yeah, and it's not done. And, you know, one of the, the things that has become a mantra in our family, back to the subject of grace is, you know, we say with our kids regularly, Jesus is bigger than our mistakes. Mm-hmm. And we want our kids to know that about their mistakes, but I need to know that as a mom too. Yeah. I mean, I, I could write a whole book on how I blew it yesterday. That could actually be the title <laughs> of the book, how I blew it yesterday as a mom. Um, so, be a great title, actually. Yeah, I'm not kidding. So, um, so, so for us to rest knowing that Jesus is bigger than mm. our own mistakes as leaders and parents, it, it's key. Wow. You know, that's a good place to wrap up. That's, that's a word of hope, Kara. I am positive that people are going to want to know more and uh, they're going to want to jump in on all of your stuff. So tell us about a couple of the books you've written on yeah. this subject and then the easiest place to find your research. 
Yep. Easiest place is stickyfaith.org. We have hundreds of free resources for leaders and parents there at stickyfaith.org. And our new book that just came out is called The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family. And that, I just love this book. It's dramatically changed my own parenting because it emerged from those 50 interviews we did with parents. So if you're a leader, in fact, I just got an email today from a youth leader who said, I read I read the first chapter and the second chapter of this book, and I stopped and ordered copies for all the parents at my church. Wow. So um, if you're a leader, you might want to think about getting this for parents in your church. If you're a parent, please check it out. And you can find out more about that book, The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family, at stickyfaith.org. Kara, can't thank you enough. Thank oh, you so much. Pleasure. This has been awesome, Carrie. Love talking <laughs> with you. It's great. Thanks so much, Kara. See, this is what amazes me. I mean, wasn't that just a, not only a fun conversation, but a fascinating conversation? There's just so much. When you combine academia and um, sort of your, your passion for the local church, it's just so amazing what you can see. And if you want more, everything is in the show notes. If you just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode four, that's kerryneuhoff, C-A-R-E-Y, N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F dot com slash episode numeral four. You'll see everything there, all the links there, including the links to Kara's books. And um, she just released one, the family edition, which I would encourage you to pick up. Uh, and and also some free resources on uh, the Fuller site as well, the Fuller Youth Institute. All of that is in there as well as some practical action tips. And in the show notes, you'll also find some tweetables, some quotes from Kara that if they really helped you, you can share them on social media. And then that may make some of your friends aware of the episode. You can help them. And so uh, there's more information in the show notes right now. Now, today's podcast is sponsored by the Orange Tour. It is a U.S. tour brought to you by Orange that helps take your family ministry team to a whole other level. And this year's tour has been amazing. I can't get to every city, but the cities I've been on have been phenomenal. We've had so much fun. And I am going to be in Washington, D.C. later this week on Thursday and Friday. And then next week, October 16th and 17th, I'm going to be in Indianapolis. And I give the opening keynote on the Thursday night and then uh, do some breakouts as well Thursday and Friday at the tour and host a leader's lunch on uh, Friday on, on the tour stop. So I would love to have you come to that. It is very affordable. You can bring your whole, whole team. Just go to uh, orangetour.org or you can click on the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode and all the links are right there. And I hope to see you in DC or in Indy this week or next week. So next episode, we are coming back with uh, an incredible guest, Craig Jutilla. Craig is also from California. And uh, Craig has a story about how he became a successful leader at one of the biggest churches in America, one of the most famous churches in America. And, and, burned out. He actually came home. If you've ever struggled in your marriage, and I mean, if you've been married for more than 10 minutes, who hasn't? Read his wife's journal and found an entry in there that simply said, I hate my husband. And that rocked his world. And Craig tells an amazing story of how ministry almost killed his marriage, almost killed his family, and uh, the road back. It's fascinating. Um, You just got to hear it. So that's next week. We are a weekly podcast now. The cool thing is we're also on Stitcher. We're also on TuneIn Radio as well as on iTunes. And if you could leave a rating or review on any of those platforms, we're so grateful. That just helps us get in front of other leaders. So we're going to continue the conversation. Jump on over to kerryneuhoff.com. And if you want to leave a comment on this episode, I'll I'll do my best to answer them. And uh, we're blogging 
talking about some other leadership subjects as well. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. You guys are just incredibly awesome. And we're back seven days from now with Craig Jutilla. Hope this helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.